So as I said, this is a two-part series uh, of whether or not babies go to heaven uh, through uh, Romans 5. And you might think, wow, that's a really unusual topic to spend two Sundays on. Like, I not, maybe you've not thought about that a whole lot, but to let alone spend two Sundays on it, that's a lot of time. And the reason why I do this is there's a lot of importance to this topic that I think people could miss, not only because it answers questions for parents who have lost their baby, but it also addresses a larger issue of how the majority of the human race, whether they will go to heaven or not. So you might say, well, Nate, how does the issue of infant salvation answer the question whether or not the majority of the human race is going to heaven. Like, what, how is that connected at all? Well, because according to scientific studies, the vast majority of the hum humanity, this is what studies show, have died through miscarriage. Say so it's really shocking and interesting to find this out. I didn't know this uh, until I studied a bit more, but this is really interesting. And this is a recent article from the uh, National Institute of Medicine, and I quote, um, it is widely accepted that natural human embryo mortality is high, particularly during the first week after fertilization. And the total uh, prenatal losses of 70% and higher are frequently claimed, amongst experts, that is. And it, that was from uh, Gavin E. Jarvis, and he has an article, Early Embryo Mortality in the Natural Human um, Reproduction. So Jarvis actually goes into his article. He discusses that, that there, are, there are individuals, scientists, who would even say it's up to 90%. Now, obviously, the more conservative 70% is where he kind of leans. Uh, but ultimately, people say up to 90% of, of, of people conceived die, 90%. That's the mortality rate here. And you're not even including, we're not even talking about past that stage um, to full term. So this is a huge population of people that are miscarried here. Um, and I, as, as we, we're going to see, life starts at conception. And in many of these cases, people don't even know they've miscarried. That's how early this is. And when you combine this with a scientific fact, the Bible and all of these things, a human life starts at conception. That's when a human being begins to exist, as Christians will often say and believe. And so that would mean the question of whether or not infants are saved will answer the question whether or not you think the majority of humanity, where they'll be going for all eternity. That, it, it, it settles that question, astonishingly. And as we'll see next uh, Sunday, this will drastically affect how you view God and your relationship towards him. Uh, Spurgeon has a good quote on that. We're going to look at that. Now, there are many people who have been wrongly told by their pastors that their child that they lost in infancy is now in hell. People have said that. I've met people that have held that belief. And people hearing this, it's very sad when they hear something so shocking from a religious leader saying, yeah, oh, yeah that baby miscarries going to hell. People have walked away from their faith over this. This is a big deal. And if I can be honest and transparent with you guys for just a second here, uh, this matters to me a great deal. Because before Kenny was born, Laura and I suffered a miscarriage. And so the answer to this question has been one of my greatest comforts that I've had in my whole life, just knowing this, the answer to this question, that when I die, I will see the child that my wife and I lost. But you see, there's some Christians say, well, you know, you don't, you don't know the answer to this question. The Bible's not clear. The Bible, or they'll even say there's even reason to think. The Bible gives us reason to think that babies go to hell. 
And if the Bible didn't answer this question, I would find it strange that Scripture does not address where the, the fate of most humanity is kind of end up for all eternity. It's odd to, to think the Bible doesn't address babies who die every day because of disease, doesn't address where they go. It doesn't address uh, what's going on, you know, with wars. I've seen, you know, it's sad in this war. Babies have, have passed because of the violence and what's going on uh, of warfare. You're saying you don't know where that baby is going, that those who die, the babies that die in Ukraine, you don't know where those, that child is going. And now some who have claimed that, that babies go to hell when they die, they use the verse we're looking at in our verse-by-verse -verse study, specifically Romans 5.12. This is what people, if you want to know what I, why people think this position, that babies who die go to hell, they use Romans 5.12 and by extension the doctrine of original sin, which the Bible does teach. Uh, Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The idea here is everybody dies, so therefore everybody sins. They, they die because they sin. Now, we all know, sadly, that babies die, so they have, some, they have sin on them in some sense. And the biblical doctrine of original sin tells us that the sin of Adam, this is an historic doctrine of the Christian church based on texts like these, says that the, because of Adam's sin in the garden, the, he plunged the entire human race into sin and that, that his guilt, his sin, is transferred to their account. And so because he is a uh, representative head, Adam is a representative head, he accurately and truly represents us when he sinned, and so his sin is, is transferred to our account. This is made even clearer as you read Romans 5, 18 through 19. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's referring to Jesus, overturning it, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So as we're going through our verse-by-verse -verse study, we're going to kind of look at how can God hold us accountable for another person's sin? I mean, how is that? And how, why would God hold uh, babies who don't have any cognitive capacity, they, they, they die, and they don't ever perform any actual evil actions in their life. How could God, a loving God, how could he hold them accountable for Adam's sin? And so as we go through Romans, we're going to be looking at that question and how we address it and how that makes sense. And uh, the truth of this doctrine is found in Psalm 51.5 as well. This teaches also the doctrine of original sin. This is King David speaking after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In sin did my mother conceive me. So the Hebrew word for conception here is the earliest possible stage of pregnancy. The very first point at which a woman is pregnant. This lines up surprisingly well with our modern word for conception. Life starts at conception. So the very first stage of King David's development, he was in sin. Now, the earliest stage of development, he doesn't have cognitive ability to sin. He doesn't have, like, you know, it's embryos, you know, they don't, they don't have the ability to even have thoughts. They don't have that cognitive capacity. And yet David says at this, at this early, at, the, at conception, the earliest stage, and the Hebrew word goes back as, as far as you can possibly go back to the starting point, it says, at this very early stage, he was in sin. 
The best explanation is what Romans 5 says, is that Adam's sin is given to all of humanity, and so all die because of that sin that's passed down. Now, this also shows that David was a person. He was a human being, because at conception, the very first point at which his mother was pregnant, at conception, he was sinful. Now, rocks and trees are impersonal. They can't be sinful. Only persons only persons and human beings can be sinful. And so this shows us that human life, according to Scripture, and personhood starts at conception according to Scripture. And this is why many Christians affirm this, this truth. Now, you might think it's, I mean, I, I get it. You might think it's kind of strange. How can an embryo be a person? How can it be, uh, how can it even be a human being? Is that like a weird belief that Christians believe because they got to believe in the Bible and they have to hold to like archaic unscientific truths? Well, actually, quite the opposite, because believe it or not, science today supports this conclusion that human beings, human life begins at conception. This is what it says. Um, this is from the professor emeritus of human embryology at the University of Arizona, Dr. C. Ward Kisher. He says, every human embryologist worldwide, every human embryologist if you look this up in any book on embryology, you're going to see this taught. That's how well-established a science is on this. Every human embryologist worldwide states that life of a new individual human being begins at fertilization conception. Life begins at conception. That's not just something that Christians believe because they have to believe the Bible or whatever it is or any reading of the Bible. No, rather, this is what science says, that human beings, human life starts at conception. This is why we support the Pregnancy Resource Center, why we, uh, why we have a deep care for uh, children that are lost and are killed in abortion, and, and we want to help save lives here. We want to encourage life here at Corner Canyon Church. But of course, the book of Romans uh, teaches that all human beings are subject to death and Adam's sin, and so yeah, they're, they're given this, this, uh, this guilt of Adam to their account. And so people think, okay... They're given Adam's sin, so that means if they're under the sin of Adam, this is how people think babies are going to hell. If they're under the sin of Adam, then they're not going to heaven because they have Adam's sin and condemnation on them, so they're not going to heaven. And some have said, well, you've got to baptize an infant. That's how they're going to get to heaven. You just wash away that original sin. But as we've seen, baptism does not erase original sin. Baptism doesn't save anyone uh, at all. It's merely a sign. And so when evangelical Christians do happen to baptize their babies, it, it, doesn't, it functions the same way as circumcision did in the Old Testament. It's a rite of entrance into the Christian church. Um, and we know from the Bible, as I said, we know people who were circumcised, they rebelled in the wilderness. There were many of them. So the act of, of any initiatory rite, whether it's circumcision or baptism or whatever it is, that does not save anybody at all. So... If they have original sin on them, if they have the guilt and sin of Adam on them as the Bible teaches and as historic Christianity teaches, well then, how are they going to heaven? They're sinful. Well, as many of you know, I'm sinful too. But I'm going to heaven because I trust in Christ. And so they say, well, yeah, but a baby can't trust in Christ. Babies can't have faith. They're not able cognitively. I mean, an embryo doesn't have faith. So then people go on further, and I, don't, I think this is illegitimate, but they go on further to say, okay, well, they can't have faith, so they go to hell. This is how uh, Phil Johnson, a pastor, describes a man with such a mentality. He's, this is what he says in meeting this guy. I met one fellow whose own child died in infancy. And he seemed to think there was 
something meritorious about believing his own child had gone to hell. Every chance he got, he brought up the issue and boasted about it. He and his wife had to come to grips with the fact that their child was simply not among the elect. I told him I thought he and his, I told him I thought he and his wife were in for a pleasant surprise when they get to glory. I recall that he said he was absolutely certain that if God elected that infant to salvation, he would have kept him alive long enough to bring him to faith. Now, the Bible never says that. That's his assumption here. And sometimes people, I, I think, want to feel like they're suffering righteous so they can feel good about themselves. Oh, I, I believe this really, you know, kind of crazy thing because that shows how faithful I am. And I don't think that's a healthy way to think in particular for a Christian. But there's not a single example in the entire Bible. And I want, and you, you know, if you can find one, I'll build you a bridge. Okay. There is not a single example in the entire Bible, in all of Scripture, of an infant going to hell. It doesn't exist. There's not a single example of, of any of that. And in fact, uh, any inference based on that, there's, there are verses that directly contradict it. There's so many verses that support the idea that babies go to heaven that I have to spend two sermons on it. I mean, how many times do I spend two sermons on something? That's pretty... So there's a lot of evidence here. All the evidence we have in the Bible today, everything we have in Scripture today, praise God, teaches that God has mercy on infants even though they are born in sin. Everything we have. And I say this because uh, the examples we have of babies dying, the Bible indicates to us that they go to heaven. And even if people say, we'll see in Scripture next week, that people will hint, if I would have died as a baby, it would have been better. You can't say that if you think babies are going to hell. Now, babies can't have faith. We know that. Uh, they don't have the ability to have faith. They don't, ha they don't have, the, as we'll see, the ability to know good from evil. So when they are saved, they are saved by sheer, sovereign, unconditional grace and mercy of God. It is based on the mercy and merits of Jesus Christ that an infant goes to heaven. There's no conditions because they don't have the ability to have any conditions. This is not just like my opinion or something I've made up overnight or something like this. No, this comes from Scripture. There's a concrete example in the Bible of a baby going to heaven. Look at 2 Samuel uh, 12, 23. We'll look at this more in detail. The context is uh, David's baby dies. And this is what he says when he's brought this painful news. He says, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Not going to resurrect him. He doesn't have the ability to do that. God could. But he says, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. I shall go to him. I don't think King David went to hell. He's a man after God's own heart. He went to heaven. And so he is referring to the idea that he knows as a man, excuse me, after God's own heart, that he would see his baby in heaven again. He's not going to come return to me. I will go to him when I die, when I go to heaven. I will see my baby again. And this baby was a newborn, was not able to have saving faith. You're like, well, Nate, that's just some, you know, Nate, that's just some philosophical assumption on your part. And the Bible doesn't say that. I've had people say that to me. They think that embryos uh, and, and little babies two or three days old can have faith. They can't have faith. And the Bible teaches this. It says that they don't even know the difference 
between good and evil. They don't even know the difference between good and evil. They lack the cognitive capacity to trust in Jesus, to know the difference between their right hand and their left. And so God on that basis will not hold them responsible for that and will have mercy on them in Christ. Look at Deuteronomy 1.39. It says, And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. Where is there? The land of Israel, a land flowing of milk and honey, which is a picture of heaven. They're able to enter that land because they do not know the difference. No knowledge of good and evil. I find it interesting that Adam and Eve's sin was eating of the knowledge of the tree of the good and evil. And that's when they fell into sin. Well, infants lack that. And that's the same author who wrote Deuteronomy or the same author who wrote Genesis. So they lack that, that negative culpability that Adam and Eve have. So babies, they lack this difference. Um, and so God has mercy on them. And this is not like, okay, these are just a few isolated incidents in the Bible. There's a lot of verses like this. And the Bible records with the prophet Jonah... He was not too happy to bring the, the good news to Nineveh. He was kind of a self-righteous kind of guy, and he did everything he could, uh, being swallowed by a giant fish, so he could avoid telling the good news to these people. And what's interesting is that God gives as a basis for not judging Nineveh. The reason why Nineveh does not fall under God's judgment is because God had mercy on children, and also animals, too, which if you're an animal lover, that's a pretty good deal. Jonah 4.11 says, and should I not pity Nineveh? Because he's like, you shouldn't pity Nineveh. You should, you should, God, these guys are bad guys. I'm self-righteous. I'm good. Let's wipe out the bad guys. Let's take them out, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger style. Let's wipe these bad guys out. No, no, no. So no, should I not pity the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So there you go if you like animals, right? So this is saying here that God did not want collateral damage on infants and animals. He didn't want this. He had mercy on the infants. He had mercy on those who lacked an ability here. And, you know, some people think, well, there's an age of accountability. It's not so much an age, it's a capacity. And that can develop differently in different children as they develop. But it's not an age like, okay, it's three and it's no more. No, it's not like that. No, it's a capacity. It's not knowing the difference between good and evil, not having a knowledge of that. It's, it's not knowing your right hand from your left. And it's so interesting that God spares judgment on this wicked city because he has mercy on the infants. I think that says a lot about the heart of God towards these little ones. And what the Bible shows us as we look through it is the conditions for which God punishes people. Infants always fail to meet those, those condemnations of what people do. And you see this in the book of Romans, especially that someone uh, who is under God's wrath suppresses the truth on unrighteousness. And God is not going to punish somebody for not you know, for never doing that or not knowing any better because God is good. He's essentially fair and just. And Romans uh, 1.18 teaches that God's wrath is for men who suppress the truth. I really don't think an embryo can do that. I want to read this here. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. It's not like, you know, kids can, little well, embryos can conjure up like all the reasons to believe in God and all this kind of thing. No, this is, 
This is for uh, people that have the cognitive ability. They know their right hand from their left. They know the difference between good and evil. A zygote, an embryo, can't do this sort of thing. And so uh, they, they are given sovereign grace by God. God does not hold and condemn people because they're ignorant. The Bible says the more ignorant you are, the least you are off of judgment. So the more you know, the more trouble you're in, which is why a comforting verse for me, I'm being sarcastic, is uh, teachers will be held to a higher and harsher standard in James chapter 3. Uh, because they have more knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more accountable you are before God. That's what the Bible teaches over and over again. Look at John 9.41. It says, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. You see the ignorance there. But now that you say we see, the Pharisees thought they were righteous, they knew everything, your guilt remains. So there's ignorance that excuses judgment. You're blind, you would have no guilt. There'd be no condemnation from God. And we all know infants, I mean, I mean, embryos, I mean, to even say they possess knowledge just doesn't even make sense. They don't know the distinction between good and evil. They don't know their right hand from their left. They would be so ignorant, they would not be under God's condemnation. And if you look at the final judgment revealed in Revelation 20, verses 12 to 13, it is based on people's actual actions. They go to the final destination of hell because of their evil, wicked actions. Re Revelation 20, 12, and I saw the dead, which, by the way, is reference to the unbelieving spiritually dead here. That's what that's a reference to. Great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in these books according to what they had Done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, the death and Hades gave up the dead who were in, it, in them, and they were judged, each one according, each one of them according to what they had done. So it's based on what a person does that sends them to hell, rejecting God, openly rebelling against the Lord. Those are the kind of things that results in this kind of judgment. Infants fail all of these conditions, and Romans won all of these judgments, and they qualify for ignorance. Uh, they are the weakest and, and most ignorant uh, of human beings, really. They don't know any, the right hand from their left, as the scripture itself teaches. And so, yeah, God would not send an infant to hell because they fail these judgments. And I would say there's two, there's two reasons why God sending a baby to hell would detract from his glory. And, it, and by the way, God does everything for his glory. Everything for his glory. The two reasons why it would detract from his glory is, one, God would create and plan on creating human beings. And then part of his plan would be just saying, okay, well, I'm going to send, I'm going to create a world and just send everybody to hell. Send the vast majority of them to hell. Instead of God in his mercy and grace in Christ and justice in the cross, showing that to people, showing his mercy and grace and justice in the cross of Christ, revealing that to people, that would glorify God, wouldn't it? Second is that a baby who is in hell has no idea why he's even there. He or she does not know why they're there. They have no clue because they never made a conscious choice ever to rebel against God. I really appreciate the way... Um, R.A. Webb puts it. It's so pungent, the way he puts it. Um, he says, If a dead infant were sent to hell on no other account than that of original sin, there would be, no, a, there'd be a good reason to the, to the divine mind for the judgment, because the sin is a reality. But the child's mind would be a perfect blank as the, as the reason for why it's suffering. 
Under such circumstances, it would know suffering, but it would have no understanding of the reason for its suffering. It could not tell itself why it was so awfully smitten and consequently the whole meaning and significance of its suffering being to a conscious enigma, the very essence of the penalty would be an absent and justice would be disappointed, cheated of its validation. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't want to say, we don't want to be overly sentimental and sappy and say, well, you know, babies go to heaven because they're cute. And they are cute. But that's not the reason why they go to heaven. We don't want to say, okay, well, you know, I just feel like babies go to heaven. They're so sweet and, it, you know... We don't want to say also that babies go to heaven because they're innocent or like they're, 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 they don't need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. That's why we'll see next lesson. Everybody has the sin of Adam so that they can experience the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Everybody who's in heaven can experience that, even infants. And so it is a sovereign act of God. It is the objective work of God in Christ to mercifully give these children salvation as an example of David and his son. I love the way John MacArthur says it. He says, yes, children are born sinners. Their death proves that, as we just saw in Romans 5. But never being able to understand the truth and therefore consciously reject it and choose rebellion, they have no record against them in the books of God. And they then constitute a marvelous and vast opportunity for sovereign grace to operate apart from any works at all. Pure sovereign grace. And so those infants can grow. Well, I think they'll... In, in the new heavens, new earth especially, I think there won't just be infants forever. <laughs> people ask what age, you know, do people have a resurrection body? I say, well, you know, right when you start aging and things start breaking down, you won't, that won't be happening to you. You should just know that if you're tired of the aging process. But yeah, as they, they will be glorifying the grace of God as we will for all eternity. That's the beauty of the doctrine of, as we'll see, God consigning all the disobedience so he may have mercy in all. Now, there's so much evidence for infant salvation, the reality of infant salvation. It says it's going to take me two sermons. But what I want to do here as we're closing up here and looking at this is I, I want to show in the Gospels the heart of Jesus Christ for little children towards infants and that Jesus loves the little children. And so my point is this, the drumbeat of the New Testament and scripture and of Jesus is that God has a special heart and love and preference towards children. And that is incompatible, it would seem to be with God sending babies to hell. It's not likely when you read through the New Testament, you see the drumbeat of God's love towards children, how he prefers them, how he cares so much for them, that that love is incompatible with him sending any of them to hell. Much more likely that he would have mercy on them. And you just start off with the Apostle Peter, who was taught by Jesus for three years. He tells us that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for children as well. He says in uh, Acts 2.39, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone to whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the Holy Spirit is not just designated for adults, it is designated towards children. And so God has set up his church in such a way as if you have just one believing parent, then that child is a part of the people of God. They are holy and set apart for a purpose in the Christian church, as we just saw today. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.14, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. 
And as Gordon Fee points out, that Greek word hagios, holy there, is used as being a part of the covenant people of God. So God includes children into the covenant. This is a drumbeat of the New Testament, that God has a special purpose to include children into the fellowship and the community of saints, that we, we hope that every child here that is raised in the faith says there's never a day where they didn't know Jesus. They always knew Jesus and had that tender relationship. No one loves children more than Jesus. Jesus used children as examples of those who were saved and blessed. Here are just two examples. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. By the way, the Greek word here for infant or child um, is the, uh, the word for child here. It means little child or infant. And so Jesus is, is blessing and praying for parents who are bringing their infants and small children to him. And he says, yes, that these very small children, which is Jesus says he cares about the least of these in Matthew 25, the least of these are children. He says, yes, that they have the kingdom of God. I think Jesus' words here would be very hard to explain if you think babies are going to hell. And Jesus is like saying, yeah, well, let me bless, let me bless you and include you into my kingdom. You little hell-bound you know, vipers with diapers. I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah. It doesn't work. Jesus has this special love, this favorable disposition towards children. He used them as an example for how his disciples can act of humble dependence on the Lord. Matthew 18.1 says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's, he says, calling him a child, the Greek word there, little child, infant, put them in the midst. And he's using them as an example as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I just, it's impossible for me to believe that if that child were to die, he wouldn't go to the kingdom of heaven. He would go to, this doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Remarkable that he would use children in such a favorable and positive light. And it's inconceivable with such a positive light that he would see them as hell bound if they were to pass. It makes it very difficult when you see Jesus' heart here for children as an act of dependence. That's why he uses they, that children are the most dependent. I don't want to say creature sounds weird. I mean, of, of the human stage of life, they're the most dependent there is. And Christ loves that. Jesus loves babies. This is why... Um, Many Christian parents sing the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the little children in the world. Sing that to your children. That's not based on sentimental sappiness. That's based on the objective word of God in the heart of Jesus for children. This is why I sing to my children, 
every night when I was when they were one and two, um, Jesus, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. We'd sing these songs to them because the heart of Christ revealed in Scripture is a deep love for children. They are holy. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for them too. They are included in the kingdom. They are prayed for. They are propped up as examples. And if you hurt a child according to Scripture, there is a uniquely severe judgment for you because you're judged because of the value of a child and how precious they are and how Christ loves them so much. Luke 17.2 speaks of this. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, he were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. The act of hurting a child is so severe in God's eyes because he loves him. It's clear that he loves him so much. They are the most dependent. They are the least, the most helpless. They are the weakest members of our society. And God has so much love and so much mercy for those who are weakest, for those who are incapable. And so I believe on the testimony of the word of God that God will have mercy on infants. He will send them to heaven. They haven't even openly rebelled. They don't know any better. They are weak. They are helpless. God has mercy on those things that are weak. When we are weak, then he is strong. And infants are the weakest. And so God, in his love and grace, he has no wrath for them, no anger for them, only love in the deep heart of Jesus. But Jesus is God. So when Jesus shows this love of children, he shows what God's heart is like. And so this morning, if you have lost a little one in miscarriage or whatever it is, you can be assured the confidence of the objectivity of the word of God if you have lost a little one. That they are right now in the arms of a loving God. They will never know pain, hurt, sadness, loneliness, and loss like you and I will. They are safe in the arms of Jesus Christ for all eternity. When we lost our child uh, before Kenny, it was this biblical truth that comforted me so much. It was this truth of God's love and mercy for children that allowed me to process the pain and loss that we experienced. Because if you've lost a child or you've lost many children, whether it's miscarriage or whatever it is, you can know this by God's word that someday when you go to be with Jesus Christ, you'll be able to see your child again in heaven. And they, they will be there to greet you and comfort you. And it is this beautiful reality that takes away the cruel dread and pain and the reality of death. And it gives us something profoundly positive to look upon and look forward to. And this is only something that is accomplished by the work of Jesus Christ, by his meritorious life, his death and resurrection of the cross. It totally removes the sting of death and the pain that I felt in my own life. I'm comforted by the 
Words of the Apostle Paul, which talks about the victory of Jesus and the gospel over sin, death, and pain. This is the book of Revelations. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. It says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. If you lost a child, they have victory in Jesus Christ, only experiencing eternal grace in heaven in the arms of God. Let's pray.